Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello from Allergy Central. Oh, Evan, you're not feeling good, are you? My allergies have whooped me. Yeah. Along with everything else. Well, I went out to go see Jack Leiter in Frisco in the middle of a tornado on Saturday night, and then the Rangers... Bless their little hearts. They have this roof that they were bound and determined to open for the 17,000 fans they had there last night. And the press box, I don't know if you're aware of this, Kevin, it's up, it's like on a scaffolding above the stadium. Um, We like to call it an eagle's nest. I like to call it the International Space Station myself. Um, But you could really get the wind up there last night, too. So... Um, if there has been some type of pollen in the air in North Texas this week, it has invaded my sinuses. Oh, I, I can't make fun of that because I had the same thing when I went out to spring training. I was sick, sick out there, sick as a dog. Uh, anyway, on the, on from the uh, the health ward here, we'll move over to our old pal David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. I feel it's important not to burden our listeners with our health status. So I will say, even though I'm broken down in many ways, you will not hear that from me today. I'm I'm raring to go. What a guy. What a pro you are, David. Uh, I'd like uh, to point out that this is the guy who was on vacation last week. So Yeah, yeah that's true. We pointed that out. Uh, I, I will say also that, that at least two of us have had a, a COVID test in the last uh, two days, and, and we both came up negative, so that was a good thing. Um, so we got a lot of stuff going on this week. Uh, it's World Series week for the Rangers. Uh, the Cowboys have the draft, and the Mavericks, the Mavericks are on the verge, on the cusp of moving on to the second round for the first time since 1962. Uh, it has been quite quite a, a drought here for the Mavericks. Not actually, but for move on to the, for the first time in since they won the championship in two, uh, 2011. So that's uh, been quite a drought here for the Rangers to get uh, for the Mavericks to get past that. If they do uh, indeed get past uh, the Jazz, it certainly looks like it after last night, after just completely blowing the Jazz out of the tub at American Airlines Center. I, I did not see that coming. I thought they would win that game. I, I thought there was a good chance they could still win in six after losing game four in the last 39 seconds. Uh, a crazy finish to that game up in Salt Lake City. But uh, Monday night uh, against the Jazz at the AAC, that was just kind of hard to predict that, they would, that the Jazz would just fall apart. David, in these games at the, the since game one when the Mavericks lost here, uh, in each of the games, the Mavericks have taken a lead in the first half and a pretty sizable lead sometimes. And Donovan Mitchell did reference that uh, after one of the uh, of the the Jazz losses. I can't remember which one it was. That it just really kind of was a mental thing <clears throat> when the back when in, in games two and three, when the Mavericks were making lots of threes, uh, and they said it was just demoralizing basically to be taking the ball out of the basket all the time. Uh, that has yeah. not been the case the last couple of days, a uh, couple of games. They have not really hit the three as nearly as much, but they're still getting demoralized. Well, they're still getting demoralized because Utah is not hitting their threes. Uh, they're right. one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league over the last three seasons. Uh, Dallas has really shut down, them down 
uh, you know, on, on the edge, on the perimeter. And, you know, it, it's interesting that Utah, over the course of the season, they were usually the teams jumping out to leads and they had problems holding on to it in the fourth quarter. That was kind of the pattern they fell into. Now here in the postseason, they're falling behind early and uh, they're not making threes well enough to come back. And and Dallas, you know, Dallas's defensive rotations and just what they're doing on the perimeter and and Dorian Finney-Smith is just playing at such a high confidence level uh, right now. And, and uh, they're really kind of feeding off that defensively. And this is... You know, we've talked about the need for them to play better defense this season, and I do think Utah is more limited offensively than certainly uh, what the Mavericks will see going forward in the playoffs if they, if they do win uh, in Game Six or Game Seven. Uh, but uh, just the dramatic improvement with basically the same cast of characters uh, that you've seen defensively—it's uh, you, you really credit this coaching staff and and the players recognizing. I think coming out of last year's playoffs, that well, we talk about needing to play better defense, but we've really seen that we're not a playoff type team. So this is we are going to have to change our identity, and they they they've gone all in on that. Yeah, I, I've I've written that a few times about the fact that that I think it's one of oh, those. Oh, well, under- you've written it. I'm. I'm just <laughs> mentioning it. That, you know, it's okay to say that. It's like we didn't just discover this. They, uh, yeah, this is one of the most underrated storylines I think in the NBA. The fact that uh, Jason Kidd and Sean Sweeney, who's defensive coordinator, have gotten these guys to buy into this. You know, uh, I do think it says a lot about the kind of guys they have on this team. And you know, one of the things that we have criticized uh before uh is that well it's just kind of a team full of of role players right of of guys who there's there's not a second star there's not a third star at least that was before you know uh, Jalen Brunson really took off in this series um but sometimes those are the kind of guys you can convince to play defense right uh if it's a you if you've got stars out there and and they aren't already great defensive players I'm going to tell you, I don't think you're going to talk them in to becoming great defensive players. Now, they have asked Luca to play better defense, and he has. Uh, something came up in the broadcast last night, and I don't recall this, but he said that Jason Kidd approached him and said that last year you were the number 250th ranked defensive player in the league. Uh, and then uh, so Luca decided to, to work at it, and then at some point uh, Jason told him, well, you're the 150th ranked defensive player now. And uh, and Luca was very proud of that improvement, which was all very good, except for the fact that Jason made those numbers up. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that that's really funny. That that, that but you know, you uh, Luca has done that. He has laughed, or he has taken on this this uh, idea that I can play defense too, and he has taken some pride in it. And he needs to do that because he can be a functionally good defensive player because of his size. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. There are a lot of things that these Mavericks are doing now. I thought, I thought in the first half it was it was frustrating watching the Mavericks play because as uh, as as they were lengthening that lead, all I could think was the lead could be twice this. You know, they're they're turning the ball over. Luca had five turnovers in the first half, um, but the, the crazy thing was that they out rebounded the Jazz by ten in the first half. So uh, Luca was getting a lot of rebounds. He had nine rebounds at the half, and that's something that you don't really um, – we, we see that because of all the triple doubles, but that has been the difference in him returning to the, to the series 
in my mind, is that he brings to them such a great rebounder that they don't get when he's not there. Let me ask you a, a question, Kevin. I, I don't. You said something at the very outset of that long diatribe, wow. um, and I mean that in only the most complimentary sense. Yeah. Um, I believe you said that one of the most underrated stories in the NBA this year is that Jason Kidd has gotten his team to buy into defense. Wasn't yeah. that pretty much his mission statement coming in? It was, but it doesn't mean it. You know, listen, I, if you I've hired always, this guy to get a team to buy into team defensive play, and he's done it. Then I, I don't understand why that would be underrated. Well, because because here's the thing: Rick Carlisle wanted him to play defense too. Rick Rick went out of his way to say that that you, we cannot win in the playoffs. You cannot win a title if you're not a good defensive team. It just doesn't happen. You know, you, teams don't win titles because they're all in on offense. They're every one of the teams that win has at least a top 10 defense. And and the Mavericks were not that. And they haven't really been that uh, since they won the title. So uh, the fact that you, you know, what, what Rick said all along, and, I'm, and I agreed with this 100%, was if you want to play better defense, you go out and find a guy who plays defense. Uh, and that's why they brought, that's why they got Josh Richardson last year when they made that trade, sent Seth Curry to the 76ers. They thought he was going to come in and be a lockdown defender. Well, he wasn't. Uh, and, and so they go out and get Reggie Bullock this year. And Reggie's a very, very good defensive player. Uh, there's no question about that. But he is not the difference. The difference is, is that, as, <clears throat> as Shaquille O'Neal pointed out uh, on the broadcast last night, uh, these guys are all moving their feet. They, they play great team defense. Uh, and, and when you got a, a team committed to playing that, even in the second half with that big lead, you still saw these guys scrambling around. You still saw them uh, committed to the same kind of defense. That they, it's like you know, this is who we are now. We we do do not want to lose this I, this sense of who we are. So, created a team identity, and the team is brought into it. I mean, I, I think that's a fine job. I'm just not. I'm not so sure that it's 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 an underrated story in my mind. Um, I just think it's a good coaching job. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a great coaching job. I thought that, I think Jason Kitch should be up for coach of the year uh, for for doing what he's done here. They they completely changed this team's identity from what it was before. I think we should also mention that as we do this Zoom, since we're still doing it via satellite, that um, you are sitting directly under a reading lamp, and it looks like you're wearing an oversized golden fez. That's not that's actually that's actually a halo. There there is a halo about me that yeah, I, there's I, an aura about I'm you. Shocked right. that you have not noticed that before. There's quite an aura. Yeah, there is. All right, thanks for taking up the time with that, Evan. Uh, so, David, uh, so how much longer do you think this series goes? Does it go six games or seven games? Well. I thought before last night it was going to be a seven-game series. And, you know, I I know some fans, there was some consternation about, oh, Luca's back, and then we lost four. Why didn't they hold him out one more game? You were going to come back 2-2, coming back to Dallas. Why not do that? Well, I think you saw in last night's game why they didn't do that. Uh, one, if your best player is ready to play, you get him back out there, regardless of where you are in the series. Two, it was natural for, the, you know, the fact they got up 2-1 without him gave them a lot of latitude. And, you know, this was a game on the road that Utah had to win after going down 2-1. You put 
Luca back in that environment and, and monitor his minutes more than you would going forward just to make sure he's fine and, and reinforce that. And But the flow is going to be different. Brunson's going to have a different role. Dinwiddie's going to have a different role. Everyone, everyone gets back to their roles, and it takes a little bit of time to work through that. Uh, you worked through that in Game 4, and you saw the result, in my mind, a uh, Game 5. So while I really thought this was going to be a seven-game series, I, I think they broke Utah last night. In, in fact, I'll take it one step farther. I, I, think, I think this series breaks up that Jazz team and when you look at the Western landscape going forward, I think the Mavericks have knocked the Jazz down to that second level, and, and the Mavericks are coming up. And, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I, I think that with what Utah has gone through and their lack of playoff success here in recent years, uh, the carping you've had between some of their star players, how they it appears they will go out in this series when Luca didn't even play three games after going up 1-0 and then having two of the next three at home. Um, I think there are going to be some changes underway in Utah, and I think now that you knock them down the, the Western ladder, which is what a good young team like the Mavericks need to do as they climb the ladder in the West. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it, it's over in six games, especially if Donovan Mitchell does indeed have a hamstring injury. That's what they said after the game. Uh, if he's got a hamstring injury, he's not playing Thursday. I don't think he's playing Saturday. Um, so, And he had a terrible game, and he hasn't played particularly well. He hasn't uh, shot well. He hasn't been efficient. He's scoring a lot of points, but he hasn't been efficient. He yeah. is clearly their best offensive player. Jordan Clarkson's their second best offensive player. And, and last night, he looked like – uh, he was being hounded so much on defense. He's stumbling through his dribble. Uh, it, it was just pitiful to watch the Jazz last last night. It, it was like winning that game in Salt Lake City, game four, just was everything they had left. Uh, and then they had nothing left for game from. And they just barely won. And then the league's report on officiating shows that like the key three-point sequence that got them back in the game late uh, was actually an offensive call on uh, Mitchell that the officials missed. Yeah. So, uh, and, and when they lost that game, I, I just felt like when the Mavericks lost game four, it was like, okay, that wasn't, that was sloppy and that was a poor ending to that game. But they lost by one on the road uh, in a game, in Lucas' first game back, uh, in which you would expect there'd be some adjustment here uh, to what was going to happen. So, uh, I, I really felt like the Mavericks still had control of the series. I, I, I think they really have it now. And you're right. This is going to be the breakup of the Jazz. It'll be interesting to see who stays, who goes, uh, including the coach, Quinn Snyder. Um, uh, let me just ask one thing before we get out of this Maverick segment. Would you be interested in Rudy Gobert? Sure. I mean, I, I think he's one of the uh, uh, upper echelon defenders. You don't have to run a lot for him. Uh, he's always giving you presence under there. He moves well. You can do pick and roll with him. Uh, a dominant rebounder, changes a lot of shots. Um, yeah, I, I think he fits in, in just about any scheme. I, I think there would be a lot of interest in him around the league. Yeah, but would they be interested here at the Mavericks, would you? Yeah, and, and what are you going to have to give up to, to well, do no, it is, you, is, always the, is always the response. But uh, Well, you're going to get talk, most if of If we're what talking about, yeah, is. if we're talking about the Mavericks defense now and where they are, how much better would they be with Gobert? Now, uh, you'll have to give up one a pretty good offensive perimeter player uh, as part of the package, and, and so that's going to lessen you offensively. 
But I will say it's probably easier along the way to find uh, an offensive perimeter player that can fit into your scheme versus a dominant center who can still move well enough in today's game that he's not a liability late in games. Yeah. Yeah, he is he is a phenomenon to watch out there. It is unbelievable how he blocks shots and gets to things and moves his feet uh, for a guy yeah. that's And very quickly, if Dallas wins this, uh, I know uh, New Orleans and Phoenix are, are tied 2-2, and, and they have an injury issue there with Booker. Uh, you know, I would still expect the Suns to win. Uh, a lot of good teams. Uh, you saw Milwaukee last year. Didn't they, didn't they go to a game seven in the first round? And everyone's yeah. saying there's no way Milwaukee gets through this and you get better as you go along. Some it's not it's not unusual at all for the best team or the number one seed to actually have their biggest challenge in the first round because they know it's a long road and they're not completely focused and that first round opponent can focus them a lot of times and, and get them uh, ready for the rest of the playoffs. I think you're seeing a little bit of that with Phoenix, but Phoenix looks a little different now if if its a leading score is compromised, right? Than than what everyone thought going into these po- in this postseason. Well, plus, you know, and the, of course, the the Mavericks did not handle the the uh, the Suns very well this year. But I will say, I do think this is a different uh, Mavs team now. This team is really growing. Uh, not having uh, Luca for those uh, three games and winning two of them, I think, really uh, was good for the rest of this team and 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 convinced them that uh, they could win without him. Uh, they didn't have to rely on him, and I think that so. So they're, I think they're they're riding that confidence now. I think in that game Monday night uh, was such a blowout uh, of a of a Jazz team that, that yes, and it is struggling, but still a playoff team, the number one offense in the NBA during the regular season. To do what they did to them, uh, that has to give them a lot of confidence going forward. All right, uh, that's going to do it for our Mavs segment. We're going to move on to the Cowboys. They've got a draft coming up on Thursday. This is always a fun time of year. To me, I, I love team building. I love drafts. It's, it's all fun. Uh, there's nothing better than the NFL draft because those guys are so ready-made. These guys come in and make immediate contributions to teams. Um, so, David, uh, why don't you break down for us here for the Cowboys a few areas here that you feel like when the if the Cowboys stick with the 24th pick. I guess I should ask you that question first. Do you think they will stick with the 24th pick, or will they trade up as Jerry hinted he might do? I believe, uh, and if you listen to Jerry and his follow-ups, I I can see the the Cowboys moving up in this draft, but I don't think it's going to be in the first round. Um, I I think when when they're on the clock in the second, third, and maybe even the fourth round, uh, if they're looking at a player at the end of a talent plateau uh, for a position of of need that they know they're not going to be able to get uh, if they stay where they are, you know, in the in the bottom third of each round, I, I can see them packaging picks to jump up uh, to the top of a round in, in the uh, you know second, third, fourth round to grab a guy. I don't think you're going to see that on Thursday night. Um, I, I just don't know um, uh, unless they have a player on their board that that clearly is ahead of uh, some others. Uh, I I think it's one, I think is always most likely they stay put when you see how they put together their draft board in recent years. But uh, I think there's a potential they could move back. Um, you know, if, if when they're at 24, if they're still look, if they're sitting there and there's there's still three interior offensive linemen on the board, if there are like, say, two wide receivers and maybe one edge rusher that they like um, and, uh, you know, 
Green Bay and Kansas City behind them both would like to come out of this draft with a with a pretty good receiver to replace who they've lost. Um, I, I can see them moving back four to five spots if they have five to six players there that they have grouped together in a cluster and they don't have a problem with whoever is left. Um, you know, you saw them do that last year. They were they coveted uh, either J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan. Uh, both of those corners went immediately ahead of them. So they went, well, uh, who's drafting here? We really like Micah Parsons. We don't feel any of these two teams here are going to take him before us. So let's go ahead and move back a couple of spots, pick up an additional pick, and uh, we still feel pretty good about getting Parsons. And that worked out for them. So I think their best value here would be actually to move back a few spots. Um, but I also believe in this climate, that's going to be a little more difficult to execute because um, this is a draft that doesn't have a lot of elite players or locks at the top, but is very deep. And there are a lot of teams in the first half of this draft which would prefer to move back and acquire additional picks. Um, so that means when you have that, uh, I think it makes it harder to do. But that being said, you know if a talent plateau breaks right, and there's only one wide receiver left or there's one quarterback left and teams are getting antsy that, uh, well, what if someone else jumps in front of me and grabs his quarterback if we don't get up there? Uh, there are a few scenarios where I think Dallas uh, could move back. Evan, I'm going to ask you a question here uh, about your beloved Bulldogs, uh, who apparently uh, all along here, the consensus has been that the first pick would be Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, well, not all along. The cave on Thibodeau with uh, Oregon was also rumored to be the first pick for a long time, uh, and he yielded to them. But now there's a lot of talk about one of your Bulldogs being number one. Evan, you, you've cut off. You've Evan has cut off his mic. Uh, so yes, Trayvon Walker. Um, Trayvon Walker. That's correct. And I guess, I, I, again, I guess the, there's some measurables there that they like. I mean, it depends on on who you're, you know, which board you're looking at. Um, I'm looking at uh, Pro Football PFF, uh, and they've got Trayvon Walker as their number 12 prospect. So, um, But let me ask you this, Evan. I want to move on to another Georgia Bulldog. I was just kind of leading up to this. This is the one guy that I – if. If he were to fall to, let's say, the 20th pick was coming up, if I'm the Cowboys, I think I might trade up for this guy. Who do you think it might be? I think you like Jordan Davis. I do like Jordan Davis. Uh, I, I think that Jordan Davis is untapped potential. He's he's an unbelievable run stopper, right? 6'4", what is he, 6'7", six, 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 right? 6'41". Something like that, yeah. He's, he's humongous. Um, and yet, he's incredibly agile uh, and and – to me, why wouldn't this guy be a good pass rusher? There's no reason for him not to be. I would I would think that what the problem is, his technique has not been good. Uh, he's not been asked to do that, and so he hasn't. Uh, he has himself commented on the fact that he has really working on his pass rushing moves here and trying to improve himself in that area. Uh, because if he were – a great pass rusher as well. Well, he would he'd be a top five pick. He'd be he might he'd be the number one pick because he's so dominant against the run. If he could also be that good against uh, as a pass rusher and an interior pass rusher, that 
you just don't find those kind of things. They're they're impossible to find. So, just well, I mean, the, the one thing about Jordan Davis is like, uh, as Pro Football Focus talks about, you know, right now he's considered a one trick pony. You, Kevin, believe in the ability that there's a pass rusher in there. But here's the thing: he does one thing really, really well that plays at the at, at the NFL level, and that is he stops the run. So you know you're going to get a contribution from that guy. Is he going to be a franchise player? Not unless he de- he develops an ability to to rush the, rush the passer, but he can step in and immediately make an impact. I'm I'm more fascinated with Nakobe Dean. I don't know that he's the perfect fit. For the Cowboys, but you know, PFF has them back to back, one ranked 19, one ranked 20. I think we talked last week a little bit about Nakobe Dean being perhaps in the mode of a of a Micah Parsons type guy, a guy who could be something of an edge rusher and, and a playmaker. Um, and so if you if you walk away with either of those guys, based on the a number of runs that are gonna be made, it looks like on defensive tackles and, and defensive ends in the top ten picks. I think you've done pretty well. Now, do you have to move up to 20 to get one of those? That I don't know. Yeah. All right, David, real quickly, let's uh, break down uh, a few players at key positions that the Cowboys might consider with the 24th pick if they stay there. Well, let's start at the offensive line. You know, I think there's a good chance that no interior offensive lineman has been taken uh, at 24. Uh, if that happens, then you're sitting there and you're looking at Zion Johnson. Um, you're looking at Tyler Lindebaum and you're looking at Kenyon Green. Those are three names to keep in mind right there. Now, it's interesting because I think that's right about the point of the draft where it looks like interior offensive linemen are about to go with Buffalo and Tennessee right behind Dallas. So, you know, so that's the other thing Dallas has to be cognizant of. If they really want an offensive lineman, uh, do they have to be concerned about Buffalo? or the Tennessee jumping ahead of them, uh, you know, to grab one of these guys that they really like. So, uh, again, Johnson, uh, Green, and Linda Bomber are are three guys I'd put there. Uh, One tackle is Bernard Raymond could be there. Um, I think he's most likely those guys to be there. That's four. If you're looking at receivers, uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas and Chris Olave from Ohio State are, are one or both of those receivers, I think, could be there at 24. And, you know, if you're li- really looking at an edge guy, probably George uh, Karlofidis, uh would be the most likely to be there at that point. Uh, and I'll throw out another name. You were talking about the, the Georgia linebacker. Uh, I'll throw out the name of the Utah linebacker, Devin Lloyd. Uh, he's another player that's going to go in that range. And it's an interesting concept to think – well, why don't we double down at linebacker and have another Parsons-like player where we have two players that an offense doesn't know how we're going to use these guys? Uh, how much will you know? How much will that enhance our scheme versus a traditional uh, just you know defensive end uh, to plug into a rotation? So, I think these are all possibilities. There, not all of those players are going to be there. But out of the four, five, six, out of the six to seven I mentioned, uh, I think there's a good chance three to four of them will be there. So that's what it looks like to me at 24 at the moment. 
I think that's an interesting concept, you know, about what, where do you go on this? And obviously in the first round, you always want to take the best player available uh, because you can always make that guy fit. It was just like last year when the, when the Cowboys took Micah Parsons, they were not looking for a linebacker at that point. They were looking for a corner. What do most people say? Why in the world did you use another first round pick on a linebacker? Yeah. Uh, you're I said you're that. putting too much. A lot of people said that, you know, you're just not going to get the return on investment. You know, And now you're looking at a guy who potentially if he stays healthy, could be a generational sort of player at the position and uh, is, is used differently. And maybe it's at the cut, you know, so often we talk about how Dallas follows schemes around the league, maybe with Micah Parsons and what he's doing defensively there at the cutting edge of where defenses are going to go with multiple looks and guys who don't have a true position, but can go back and forth between several positions to keep an offense off balance. All right. All right, let's go around the board here on our on our mock draft. It's the 24th pick. The Cowboys did not trade up. They are sticking at 24. Evan Grant, who are you taking for the Cowboys? You all made very nice arguments, but I'm going to stick with my guy, N'Kobe Dean. I like the idea of <clears throat> versatility um, from that linebacker spot. I like the idea that the Cowboys could confuse a lot of teams with, uh, with looks, and I, I think that – you put he and, and Parsons on the two outside edges, and you're gonna you're gonna cause some havoc. All right, I like it, David Moore. Who do you got? I tell you, I would I would lean toward Lloyd a little bit there if I was going to do that. But I'm more and more intrigued with that concept. If if one or both of those guys are there, as far as what you could do defensively uh, by adding another uh, a Micah Light, if you will. Uh, to, to this defense, which again says how good he is, right? That we're already talking about finding players who play like him and just assuming they're not going to be as good as what they do. Um, the, the cleanest, easiest, and I think the way this sets up for them and would have the biggest immediate impact would be to stay there and draft their starting left guard. Um, so I think... I was leaning towards Zion Johnson a little bit, but I think I'm going to go with uh, Kenyon Green here, uh, Texas A&M uh, guard. I, I think he's a very physical guy, plays with an edge. Uh, like I said, a, a step-in day one starter at left guard and then kind of uh, frees up the rest of their draft to uh, get whoever they want, wherever they want. Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, that about taking an offensive lineman. I don't have a problem with, with you know, taking – you know, it is very intriguing to take great athletes and guys who are difference makers. If you can get a difference maker, that's what you want, uh, uh, the, especially in the first round. But uh, having said that, as as you pointed out, David, uh, towards the, in the 20s, that is when interior offensive linemen usually are drafted. Uh, that's when the best of them are. Travis Frederick was in that range for the Cowboys. Uh, and certainly he was, he ended up being a great pick. I didn't like that pick when they made it. Uh, yeah, and it ended up being did. a great pick for them. Uh, so uh, I, I, I will, I'm going to lean towards Zion Johnson because uh, I like all the intangibles with him. Uh, I, I wouldn't have a problem with Kenyon green either, but I like Zion Johnson because he, he has, he already has an advanced degree. <laughs> and I think that's pretty impressive to be able to pull that off in college when you when you transferred college he didn't start out at boston college so he's been at two places and he's already got an advanced degree uh he's very curious he's a he wears number 77 that's that's tyron smith's number i think putting him right next to tyron smith would be uh, a great thing to do but i also think that 
because of his intelligence and his ability, he could end up playing center as well if, if Tyler Biotic doesn't work out any better than he has so far. Um, I, 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 and because of that, I wouldn't have a big problem with Tyler Lindebaum either, uh, another center uh, that they could probably plug in and play in, in place of Biotic as well. But I, I'm with you. I'm taking one of those guards and, and, have, and solving that problem at left guard and then being able to move on the rest of the draft. I just want to go back to what the rules of this were. It was pick one. Pick one. I said pick Zion Johnson, but I can pick go Zion. with Zion. Yeah, I picked Zion. I said that. Okay. You, that's when you had your mic turned off and your and your headphones turned off okay. and you were asleep. All right, because, I mean, you gave like three or four names that you'd be okay with, but you just – It was a build-up. It was a build-up to his big reveal. Evan's just mad at me because I picked Donnie for being a camel and for being so grumpy. I'm sorry, I'm Evan, grumpy. for – you're very grumpy today. All right. That's going to do it for our Cowboys and draft talk. Uh, we're going to move on now to the Rangers. Suddenly, Ooh, I, I, my, I, I did my mock second round pick. No, no, you did not. That were, and it know, is. It and was, it is. Uh, it was a, an offensive lineman from uh, Arizona State who's from uh, the area here. Yo, you know what? I get I get the emails from that uh, the, that guy's uncle. Keish or Keish? Keish, yeah, that's it. He's yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, how about that? Uh, so, uh, the, boys. Okay, Evan, can I? Can you let me talk here? I had a nice spinach and goat cheese quiche the other day. Is that? Yes. Okay. We're really devolving now. Um, so it turns out that the, the Rangers are an actual major league franchise after all, uh, and they have won a couple of games here uh, and have. Uh, actually starting to look decent. So what's up with that, Evan? <clears throat> well, listen, I think there's a lot of, there, there, there's so many factors involved, Kevin, you know, you did, you have formed kind of a completely new roster. This is, this team is, is all new. Um, the two guys that you brought in to be the faces of the franchise had less than three weeks really to kind of mold with guys. Uh, you got off to a, a schedule that had you go on a face that, well, let's just say this in the first week of the season, you faced the American league MVP from last year and the runner up in the American league MVP from last year. And those are guys who are going to make pitching staffs look bad. And, and both Otani and, and Guerrero did that. Um, and, and there may have felt some pressure from increased expectations and all of that with some sloppy play from the areas that you thought were going to be weaknesses for this club. And that was starting pitching bullpen, potentially at third base defensively. Um, and then left field defensively. You thought that those were going to be some potential weak spots and those all showed up in the first week. Uh, I think it was important for them to have that. Not, not only important for them to win in Seattle, the way they to win in Seattle and finish that series with a win but to win in the manner in which they did, to come from behind, um, come from a big deficit down, uh, make some big plays late in the game, have a guy who really is kind of the heart and soul of this team, even if he's not the leader. But Adolis Garcia is the emotional North Star of this team. Uh, to have him make a couple plays both on the bases and in the field uh, with a great, great catch on Julio Rodriguez, I think that all got them off onto a, 
into a more positive headspace. And that was really what Chris Woodward was trying to get them to over that first week when it looked like they were, it looked like they were awkward around one another. It looked like they were still strangers with one another. Um, and you could tell after that win that, that things changed. You could tell immediately after that win that, that, that things changed. And it was much more clear in the clubhouse yesterday um, and on the field before the game that they were, they were just a looser group. Uh, this is a big week for them because facing the two World Series opponents from last year in, in Houston and Atlanta, those are big tests. Um, they're catching Houston at a pretty good time right now. The Astros are struggling a little bit, but these are two good teams uh, that, that the Rangers can measure themselves up against. And I think, I think if you come out of this, you know, if you hold your own, even if your record at the end of April is still, you know, five games below 500, if you've held your own against Atlanta and Houston, you've kind of righted the ship. And then the schedule gradually turns a little bit more in your favor, and you can kind of turn the ship in the direction you want to go. But I would say the more, the most important thing we look at this week, Kevin, is going to be the starts of Dane Dunning and Taylor Hearn. Dane started the opener against Houston last night. Taylor starts tonight. There are two guys who will get two starts apiece this week. And I would make the argument that for the evolution of the Rangers and for it to meet the designs for this year, those are the two most important players on the roster. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I think the thing that was interesting about this club as uh, the season has started was that the offense came out came out like gangbusters. You know, they're scoring lots of runs. The pitching was terrible. And it, it seemed to me to, to frustrate uh, the hitting a little bit. It's kind of like, God, we're scoring all these runs and we're just we're losing. And then and now the hitting's gone into a funk. Uh, and now these guys have not uh, – Mitch Garver is really in a – a bad funk uh and and they're these are professional hitters these are guys who have a track record i i i'm they're gonna hit Corey seager is gonna hit you know marcus Simeon's is gonna hit mitch garver's gonna hit those guys are all gonna have good seasons i don't i don't have any doubt about that if they're healthy so those things will come around um i i've thought going into the season that dane dunning had a chance to be a decent Starting pitcher, solid. He has a track record as well. Certainly much more than Taylor Hearn has. I think that uh, Taylor Hearn, for me, is a real um, question here. Uh, you know, in his last start, he gave up what? Uh, five runs? and How many runs did he give up in the in gave five runs up in the first inning. And, I mean, he admitted to me yesterday uh, or Monday um, when we, re- we visited on this, that he was actually having flashbacks to that first major league start in Seattle, which was on a very similar night, cold, kind of wet. Things started spiraling out of control for him. And that's a bad headspace to be in. And, and to Taylor's credit, he, he did get out of that first inning, even with guys warming up and gave the Rangers two more innings, which saved the bullpen perhaps just enough to, uh, to get them through that game. Yeah, uh, I, I think he has the stuff to be a starter. I just he just feels like he's further away. I, I think he is still another year away from being uh, that guy, uh, and he, you know, he he might be better off at the bottom of this rotation for now. Uh, so um, I, I do think just for in what we were talking about the head you know, the headspace of the Rangers as they are now, they're going to have to consider some kind of move here to bring in. I mean, I. You, you, you want to make a move for a pitcher if you're uh, in contention here, right? Uh, 
that's what you're that's what you're thinking. Uh, you know, if they get to uh, you know June and hey, this team's doing pretty well, maybe maybe we can make a move for a starting pitcher at this point. Um, but to me, it's just as important not to have happen what has happened in the first couple of weeks of this season when the team came out hitting very well and the pitching was so horrendous, uh, it just demoralized the team. Uh, so I think you're uh, there's going to have to be some decisions made here uh, going forward uh, about exactly what they're going to do. Do we really want to ride this out like we did last year? You know, do do we really, you know, as John Daniels and Chris Young talk about this, do we really want to spend another year with our rotation of saying, okay, well, let's just see what these guys do? Well, I, I think that the way they're set up right now, they've got to spend at least a half a year with these guys and finding out. Uh, you mentioned Dunning's. Dunning made his 33rd Major League start on Monday. Hearn will be making his 16th Major League start on Tuesday. Um, the options to back them up are Glenn Otto and A.J. Alexi. Glenn Otto had a very nice start in his first outing. So remember, he had a very nice start in his first outing in the big leagues last year. Uh, what the Rangers feel like is that they've got John Gray, who will be a serviceable starter in a championship rotation. They feel like they've got Cole Wynn, Jack Leiter, and a, and a wave of pitchers behind them that's coming. They need something in the middle to kind of mine the rotation together. And that's where this group of Hearn, Dunning, uh, Alexi, Otto, those guys all come in. You've got to find one or two guys in that group who are serviceable big league starters. And there's I, no uh, preconceptions, no, no uh, expectations that Dane Dunning or Taylor Hearn are a top half of the rotation starter. But you, you need to get one of those guys to be a capable starter towards the back end of a good rotation. Um, and that to do that, you've got to give them some time. I mean, like I said, Hearn has got 15 major league starts. One of them was a complete and total uh, throwaway that the first major league start in Seattle where he, he wrecked his shoulder. Uh, he did pitch well last year. Um, going to be interesting to see how he, how he battles back on Tuesday night against Houston. Uh, he's, kind of regressed over his first three starts this year, four innings, three and two thirds, three Rangers need innings. That's a, that's the first thing that they're going to look for from these guys is, can you give us innings? Can you get us to a point where we can set up the bullpen the way we want to set up the bullpen? And if they can't, that's when they're going to start looking at other choices. And I, Chris Woodward addressed this last night. Um, I, I asked him specifically and I thought his, I thought his comments were, um, real fair and, and and but also strongly worded saying look it may only be three starts into the season but there's nothing guaranteed and yes it would have to be multiple bad starts but if we we have options we will look at them if these guys can't get the jobs done yeah i just feel like this is the one area where the uh the administration here came up short i think they needed one more starter one more veteran starter a guy just to give you some innings uh, just to keep you from burning up your bullpen when you when you have a short bullpen, you have a short rotation, then that's just that's just you know putting gas on the fire. And, well, and, and I, I, you and I would disagree because I think that the area that they came up shortest after Kershaw decided he was not coming here, 
was I thought they had a chance to get a pretty good late-inning reliever in Jake Diekman, um, and I think that would have settled a whole lot more in the bullpen. I think they felt like Diekman was more of a one-inning pitcher, and they needed a couple of multi-inning guys. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, listen, what Martin Perez will give you for $4 million is going to be well worth the $4 million spent. I don't know that there was going to be another bargain like that out there. Um I would have I would have been willing to go four million dollars times two years to get Jake Diekman here. Yeah, yeah. Martin Perez was a, that was a bargain. There's no question about that. And that Kershaw guy's worked out pretty well for the Dodgers this year, by the way. Uh, I think he's he leading leading all of baseball in WHIP. Uh, he is almost through a perfect game. Uh, he is uh, he looks in peak form so far this year. There's a. Uh, <laughs> That, you know, it, I think in talking with lots of folks this winter, the, the big question was, well, do we know how healthy Kershaw is going to be? Do we know how healthy Kershaw is going to be? And I don't think any of that scared the Rangers away. But my my thought all along was going to be there's two things. I, and, and maybe I'm elevating Clayton Kershaw to a level that, I, that he shouldn't be. But he's not going to lie to you and tell you that he's good when he's not. And two – He's going to be in the best possible shape he can be because he is everything you talk about in a competitor. That is who Clayton Kershaw is. And he's demonstrating that right now. Now let's hope it, it holds out all year. Let's hope the back and the arm all hold out. We know he's got some history there, but I have no doubt when you talk about the modern baseball player, the guy who is going to meet whatever your expectations are, Clayton Kershaw is going to meet him and exceed him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt of that either. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about next week because the draft will be over at that time. We'll know the, what the Cowboys have done. We, we hope they don't do anything too crazy. We hope that Jerry Jones doesn't go off the – Nicobe, I'm taking you out for barbecue, baby. Yeah, okay, there you go. I am. Me and Nicobe right. Dean, barbecue, we're going to – Toast the dogs. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll see if that happens. So from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.